Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, are you ready? We're in Colossians. We're going to jump into Colossians. This is, I don't know what sermon number this is, but we're somewhere in Colossians. But we're in the uh, second chapter of Colossians, so I want you to jump in there with me and join in. All right, you join this so far? It's really good to study books of the Bible. It really helps you out. It, it really does. I mean, even this last Wednesday night was, was good, helping people understand context and usage and, and placement of scriptures in the Bible and where they are so you don't get confused and messed up by it because you need to understand it. How many know that the, the Bible wasn't specifically written to you? It really wasn't. It's not addressed to you. It wasn't written to you. But you know, in it, the Spirit of God can make it alive. And a lot of principles in the Word of God and a lot of what he said, it's life and it's power and it can be to you. But you know, this letter, Colossae itself, wasn't written to you. But you know, in what he said to Colossae and understanding the context, the background, what was happening in that day, you can draw real principles that'll help you and build your life. And that Word will bless you and minister to you. But you have to interpret it correctly. And you have to know who, what, where, when, and why. And that's a very important aspect because a lot of people get lost. They take stuff right out of context. They try to apply it to themselves. It has nothing to do with you. So, but the word of God, there's principles. When you understand what he's saying and the principle and the people he's speaking to. If I sent a letter to Gordon, it was addressed to Gordon. I said, Gord, I really think you should move your gate from one side to the other. How does that relate to you? Probably not at all. But you might go, why is he moving the gate? And you might study it out. You might say the access, the egress, maybe a gate is better on the other side. You might go, gee, where's my gate? And, and it might relate to you. But honestly, the letter's to Gordon. It's about Gord's gate. But you might learn something by it, or it might be something in there that you may gain understanding for. But the letter was from Carl de Gordon about a gate in the backyard. These are letters specifically to people about real issues, real circumstances, real situations. And the more you understand it, the more you delve into the uses, the context, the people involved, the more you do literally, greater understanding will come to you because you understand what's really going on. All right. How was that? Was that good? I had a whole bunch of people. It wasn't written to me, really? Oh, my God. Epaphras. Epaphras is a church planner. He was a part of Paul's missionary team. He was a, a convert of Paul. Epaphras went back to where his home was, and he started a church. He went to Colossae, and he began a church, and the work started to experience challenges. So you got a young church planter who started a group. The church has developed, spawning off some churches in the other areas around there, but then he goes back, and he visits Paul, and he's saying, Paul, as a young pastor, I'm having some problems here because we're teaching a pure, unadulterated gospel, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the finished work of the cross, but I got a whole bunch of other folks coming in with a whole bunch of other ideas. Some of the folks who've accepted Jesus say that it's well, not just Jesus. You got to add on some of their stuff. So I got some of the Greek folks are saying, well, Jesus is awesome, but some of my stuff's pretty cool too. And I got the Jewish people, they're coming in and saying, yeah, Jesus is really awesome, but we still got to embrace the law and circumcision, a whole bunch of stuff. So I got a problem. So when I say, no, no, that's not it. I, I just really feel there's a swell of confusion rising up. And then 
that the centrality of Christ and the simplicity of the gospel and the goodness of God, it's getting lost. It's getting messed up. And Paul, who'd never, ever been to the church, never seen these people face to face, he said, I agree. That's a serious problem. And he took the time while he was in prison, he took the time there to write a letter and say, go back, Epaphras. Read this to everybody in Colossae. And then take it and read it. Have it read in all the other small groups, house groups, churches in the area. And then send it around because we need to make sure that these deceptions, that these things that are coming in don't creep in and distort and rob the power of the gospel. So thank God that's what was happening in Colossae. has nothing to do with us today, so we can just close in prayer now. Oh, real guy had a real problem. You know what? A lot of the things that they were concerned about are still creeping in the church today. And you know, Colossae is a whole book. Colossians is a book all about deception, distortion, things that get twisted and messed up. And it's just as relevant today as it was then. And the Holy Spirit breathed that book, and that book can help us today to make sure we don't get deceived, we don't get sidetracked into nonsense, and miss out on what God's really doing. You'll never miss out on what God's really doing. If you're in Him, you're in Him. But you know what? It is all about being in Him in the beginning. It's all about being in Him in the middle. And it's all about being in Him in the end. And don't add any other nonsense to it because if you do you rob the gospel of its power in your life all right was that good all right so paul sends a letter he tells them god's done all this wonderful stuff for you and he can do it because he is supreme and he is sufficient he elevates christ in their eyes and, and then he says jesus is lord therefore he is fully able to qualify you all the great things i said they're great but they're not impossible because the one who can do all things he's the one who will enforce it in your life and it's all yes and amen in him so good good stuff all right so primarily written to confront rising heresies false teachings in the day a combative tone and an abrupt style he wasn't combative against anybody he was combative against false teachings he didn't start naming people or anything in that way but he exalted christ he exalted Christ. It's, it, the, the words and, and the way it's written, it's a bit abrupt, but it's because he confronts four basic heresies, Gnosticism, legalism, Gnosticism, you're going to see it today. I changed it to intellectualism in your notes just so you can relate to it a bit better. Gnosticism, legalism, mysticism, and asceticism, all right? So we're going to deal with those false teachings today. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. So excited. All right, so those are the, the primary ones. So Paul gets really personal last week. Paul then, after saying all that he said in, in chapter one, he talked about all you have in Christ and then who Christ is. He elevates a beautiful discussion or a beautiful you know, manifestation of who Christ is, the, the greatest expression of Christology in the scripture. And then he says, and I'm nuts about this job I've got. I'm nuts, I'm passionate about what I get to do. And that's why I'm passionate in this letter to make sure that, that you don't miss out. In last week in 24, 124, 25, I, 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 personal pronoun 11 times. Christ in you is the hope of glory. How's he gonna get it all done? How's he gonna fill the earth with the glory? How's he gonna reconcile sinful man to a wonderful holy father? How's he gonna do it all? How, how, how? Christ in you is the hope of glory. That is it. That is the message. That is the plan. That is it. Don't stray from it to the left or to the right. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And Paul said, it's my passion. It's everything I do to present every man perfect, complete, full, lacking nothing in Christ 
Jesus in the person of Christ, not in the doctrine or the teachings or the blah, 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 but in that person perfect in the revelation of Christ himself. Can I get a hallelujah? All right, that's a bit of a recap. Colossians 2, 4. Now this I say. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you. Now I'm moving on and all these things, the reason I'm saying this, the reason I'm writing this is I don't want anyone. How many know who anyone is? Who is anyone anyways? But he said, I don't want, I'm saying these things, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Have you ever sat and listened to something? That sounds really good. I'm going to buy that, you know, piece of plumbing software, you know. I don't have a quadruple flush toilet, but sounds awesome. I'll buy it. People were coming in and they were distorting the simplicity of the gospel and persuading them to, to go here and there and all kinds of quests to be made full or be perfect in Christ. And Paul said, I'm writing this so no one can deceive you. So when you get a full revelation and understanding of the book of the Colossians, that was written for you today to keep you from being deceived. A working understanding of the book of Colossians can keep you established, steadfast, and rooted in Christ himself. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm really excited. All right, good, good, good. Three major doctrinal denials, three major denials. First of all, denial of the fullness of the Godhead was in Christ. These people really didn't believe. They, many of them thought if God is really that good or Jesus is that good, he couldn't have really been a man because, I mean, look around, guys. None of us are any good. So he couldn't have come as a man. He had to be some kind of phantom or emanation or he was something. It might have been God. We might have seen him. Maybe it was a holograph or something. But he couldn't have really identified with flesh because all flesh is evil and everything in the world is evil. So, so they had this dual tier thing and Jesus wasn't really a man. So, so they denied the aspect that the Godhead in Christ, in Jesus, in that person, in that man, there couldn't have really been the fullness of the Godhead in him. They couldn't handle it, couldn't wrap their head around it, so they denied it and created other philosophies and ideas of how it all worked out. Number two, they denied the believer is complete in Christ alone. There's got to be more. It's not just Christ. It's not just the finished work of the cross. I mean, there's got to be more stuff you got to add to that. I mean, it's got to be more complicated. See, the Greek says it's got to be more complicated. The Jew said, Jesus, are you joking? that man, he got hung on a cross. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. He can't be who he said he was. So they got to add all of the stuff to it because they can't get their heads around the simplicity of Christ in you is the hope of glory. Simple stuff. They asserted that full freedom demanded additional heightened spirituality. So if we're really going to have the full package, there's more folks. There's more. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Paul said, I don't want you to get sucked into that. I don't want you to get dragged. We're deceived by who? By anyone who tries to add something to the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right? So a lot of times you got to trade, folks. You got to trade. And you remember this, remember this guy? This guy here, Kyle McDonald, 1995. Who was not even born in 1995? Who? Who was that? Very good. Okay. So this was before you were born. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy sometimes when people, sometimes people just kiss. But in, how many remember this? The guy who took a red paper clip and traded it all the way up to a house. Do you guys remember this? You don't remember that? How many do not remember that? Wow, were you sleeping in 1995? Kyle McDonald, he's from Canada, he's a Canadian guy. In 1995, you see that paper clip in his mouth? He started with that paper clip, and in a year... By trading that paperclip and continuing to trade, he continued to trade until he literally got that house. 
that house on Main Street in Kipling, Saskatchewan was given to him a year later, and all he started with was a paperclip. No kidding. Does anybody remember that? Yeah, I mean, crazy stuff. But here's the thing. Let me, let me read you the list of trades. You ready? It's just a list of trades. Red paper clip for a pen in the shape of a fish for a doorknob. He traded that, sorry, he traded that for in the shape of a fish. He traded the pen in the shape of a fish for a doorknob for a Coleman gas stove. For an electric generator, he traded that for a beer keg and a Budweiser sign. He traded the beer keg and the Budweiser sign for a snowmobile. He traded the snowmobile for a trip to Yak, British Columbia. For, he traded that trip for a three-ton delivery van. And then he traded the three-ton delivery van for a courting contract. So he's moved all the way. I think it was 14 trades. So have you followed the trade so far? I mean, I would have stuck at the snowmobile. That's pretty awesome. But, but no, he kept on going. And, and then he, he, somebody said, I'll want the van. I'll give you this recording contract for the van. And then he traded that contract for accommodation in a house for a year in Phoenix. So he traded the recording contract for you get a house for a year in Phoenix. Somebody wanted the house in Phoenix for a year. So they traded that for an afternoon with Alice Cooper. So I think that was a weird trade. He traded a house in Phoenix for a year to spend an afternoon with Alice Cooper. How many know that's awesome? Where's, where's Steve? Steve, Steve, you would have done that in a minute, wouldn't you? In a minute. Oh, close almost. No, maybe the, you know, really close. What amazes me is these people are, it's, anyways. All right, so he's got this, uh, an afternoon with Alice Cooper. And then he, this, is, this is like he's going backwards, but he, he traded that for a kiss snow globe. I mean, we had a, a year in a house in Phoenix, and now we're at a Kiss Snow Globe. But apparently the Kiss Snow Globe was, was really, really awesome, because you know what he got for the Kiss Snow Globe? He, for the Kiss Snow Globe, he got a role in a movie with Corbin Bernston. He, got, he, got, he traded that for a role in a movie with Corbin Bernston. How many remember Corbin? few people remember Corbin. Is that, is that pretty cool? Would you like to be in a movie with Corbin? No? Okay. But, but that's what he got. He got this role in this movie, and then there was somebody in Saskatchewan who said, I would love to be in a movie with Corbin, and they traded this house for the movie role. Somebody somewhere should have said, stop it! What are you doing? I can't believe you're giving this house away for that. What is wrong with you? But it's amazing how, how people constantly can get sucked into saying, there's got to be more. I got to trade up. And they're always doing these crazy trades. But you know what? Here in Colossae, people were coming and they're saying, what you got isn't that awesome. Trade it for this paperclip. I mean, I got something you really, really need. I don't know. This is a red paper clip. It's really awesome. You should trade for this. So what I got's not enough. I should have the... Yeah, trade me, trade. It's a, you know, you don't, don't, don't make the trade. No matter who comes to you and offers you and tries to talk to you into saying, this is better, or, or you know what? Just Christ alone's not enough. You need Christ, you know, keep Christ. That's all good, but you can get more. Don't do it. Don't make the trade. Can I get an amen? amen? Don't make the trade. Don't trade. It's not worth it. What you have is great. Paul is saying that you are full in Christ, that being in union with him alone leads to completeness. Being in union with him alone is completeness. Don't mess up what you got. So let's mess around. Let's jump into the text if you're ready. Number one, we're going to deal with this text. We're going to pull it kind of 
break it up because the way he writes it, he, he, uh, I'm going to group the scriptures together so we can understand them a bit better, all right? So first thing I want to say is be rooted. The first thing you need to do to keep you established and keep you from getting messed up or deceived or, or turned aside to anything else, be rooted. So what's he saying? He's saying, focus on your union with Christ, union with Christ. When you accept Jesus, how close to Jesus are you? You're in him. You literally, he's in you and you're in him. You are in him. You are literally God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hey, Father, how you doing, son? Ooh, how's it going, Holy Ghost? How are you? Hey, wow, I am right dead center in the Godhead. Not only am I in him, but he's in me. Just like Jesus said, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily, and you are full and you are complete in him. So you're in him and he's in them and you're in all of it. You are submersed in all that he is and he is submersed in you how amazing is that i can barely get my head around it but you can't get any closer or any fuller of god than you are when you come to him i mean he completely he's not holding out on you he doesn't he doesn't give it to you in in pieces or portion it off to you i mean i know some people they say you know well god wouldn't give you everything i mean come on you wouldn't give the keys of your car to a three-year-old I wouldn't, but when you're born again, you're not born again as a three-year-old. You're born again as a full adult child. The Bible's very clear on that. You don't come into the kingdom as an infant. You come in as a joint heir, as a child of God, with full privileges in every single way. That's what Paul went. Paul said, I want you to know how amazing it is that you're an heir of Christ. And how amazing all the privileges God's given you. And you might say, this is too good to be true. Well, let me tell you, the one who gave it to you is the one who has all things, is in all things, created all things, and he can do all these things. If he said he's done it, he's done it. And I can't wait to tell you this message and force it in you so that you can embrace the fullness and completeness that's yours. That's what Paul's saying. But he's saying, wow, stay rooted in the reality of your union with Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, but he who is joined with the Lord is one spirit with him. What are you? Are you joined with the Lord? If you're not joined with the Lord, please join with the Lord. But if you're joined with the Lord, you are one spirit with him. You are in an absolute union with God. You're in an absolute covenant with God. Like if I told my wife, I woke up to say, I want to marry you. She'd say, you already married me. I know, but for some reason, I don't feel married. Doesn't matter what you feel. You married me. It's done. We were made one flesh together. It's finished. It's complete. Here we are. And if I every day said, please marry me, please marry me, eventually she'd say, what is wrong with you? She would take the written text, she'd get the marriage license, and she'd say, look, we did it. I've got the text. I've got the text. I've got the text that says you're complete in him. You're in absolute union with him. I've got the evidence that you're in union with him. She could show me a marriage license, say, we did this. I've got it. It's legally here. And then she could take me down to people. These people all witnessed it. It all happened. We are married. We are in covenant we are what there's a lot of believers though that don't get that they're one with christ they think they're still on a journey to oneness you're already there as a full-born child with every privilege and every blessing of being a full adult a joint heir with christ jesus with every blessing and every benefit because of the finished work of the cross alone now can you get a greater revelation of what's already yours? Yes, but that doesn't mean 
it's not already yours. And some people don't even get on to the greater revelation because there's teachers and, and people who teach stuff that keep on distancing us from God. And they keep on reinforcing a falsehood in our minds that, that God's way over there and we've got to get to him. Even songs we sing, and I, I know they're good sometimes, but even when we sing a song, Let It Rain, it's like, you're not really here, so please come. He's really here. Sometimes even the songs we sing reinforce distance and it's not true. There is no distance between you and God. Even sin does not separate you from God. It separates you in your mind, but it doesn't separate you physically or in any way from God. It separates you in your mind because you can't believe you were such a dork. So here's what you do. You immediately deal with it, and the blood of Jesus penetrates to your conscience and rips out any separation or shame or guilt, and you're immediately restored in your relationship with him, which doesn't mean you're restored into it because you're already still there, but you're restored to the reality of it in your mind. That was complicated right there, I know. Because it doesn't say you're enemies of God, it says you're enemies in your head. How many know if you sin against another person, you got a problem with the relationship? When you see them, hey, how's it going? In your head you're going, do they remember I stole 20 bucks from them? I don't know. Uh, hi. Are they going to talk about the 20 bucks? And right away your whole relationship with them, you are fully dominated by 20 bucks, 20 bucks, 20 bucks. That's the same way the enemy does that to you when you screwed up. You come, you're in God's presence. Oh, I worship you. You're awesome. You did this. Oh, yeah. Did he see that? Was he, you know, I didn't really mean that, though. I don't, did it count? Boom. Just deal with it. Anyways, that was just, you know. 1 Corinthians 1.30, God has united you with Christ. He made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Folks, I'm just reading the Bible. It's just the Bible. That's all we're reading here. Right? I'm not even throwing in my opinion. God has united you with Jesus Christ. He made us right with God, past tense, perfect past tense. He made us pure, past tense, perfect past tense, done, finished, once and for all, past tense. He freed us from our sin, perfect past tense, done, once and for all. So people were coming against this reality of freedom in Christ alone. And Epaphras was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? There's, there's confusion coming. There's, there's alternate teachings coming in the church here. And I'm concerned. And he went to his father, Paul. He said, Paul, what do I do? Paul, who had never been there, said, this is serious stuff. I'm going to send a letter. And that's what he did. So he says, be rooted. I want you to be rooted. Now, we have a river birch. Say river birch. We, I love birch trees. Do you love birch trees? My, my uncle had a cottage up in northern Ontario, and when I was a kid, I loved going there, and all around the cottage were birch trees, and I used to go and peel, like, the birch off and do things, and I just, it was that bad, I don't know if that was bad, I just thought birch trees were awesome. I just thought, I loved birch trees, and, and in my memories and in my mind, when I see a birch tree, all of these good feelings come rushing back up inside me. So you know what I wanted right in front of my house when I pull in the house every day, just in case Cheryl's in a bad mood? I wanted a birch tree. No, I'm just, Cheryl's never in a bad mood, just kidding. But you know, I wanted, I wanted right in front of our house there to be a river birch. Now, so we put a river birch right at our front door, and this river birch is growing right at my front door. You know what the problem is? It's a river birch. You know what that means? 
It likes water, lots and lots of water. So even in this last week, we got a little less water. All the grass all around the front all started to, right where the tree is and the root system is, all the grass started to go brown and leaves started falling off the leaves of the tree. And the river birch, literally when I pulled it, went, hey, dummy, you put a river birch in your front yard there on a base of clay. How stupid are you? Can I get a drink, please? And it's all true. But you know what? That just means I got to be careful to make sure I give lots of water to my river birch. And then my river birch will manifest all those good feelings in my life every time I come home. Amen. Can I get an amen? How many now want a river birch? Just all heads bowed, eyes closed. You know, he uses this whole thing of planted. He uses a bunch of mixed metaphors here. And there's a problem sometimes with mixed metaphors is that you try to make every metaphor a doctrinal truth. It's not established, fixed there. He means all the same thing. He's just trying to find language to explain. You need to be rooted, established. You need to make sure it's him. You need to make sure that every aspect of your life drinks only from God himself. You need to be established and rooted in one thing. One thing. Have your roots deep in the revelation of Christ and the finished work of the cross. That's what Paul's saying. Be rooted. Now look, look at the text. You ready? Look at the text. Well, one more verse. Jeremiah chapter 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be like a birch tree planted in the pastor's front yard. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads its roots by the river. It will never fear when heat comes. Its leaf will be green. It won't be anxious about anything in drought or any of those seasons, and it'll never cease to be fruitful. Okay, let's get into the text. Okay, had to do that. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, and then 9 and 10. And now... Now, listen, now, I mean, I'm passionate about this, but here's what I want. Now, listen, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, you must continue to follow him. It's faith from the beginning. It's faith in the middle. It's faith all the way through. It's absolute rest of everything you are being rooted and established in the cross, Jesus and his finished work. That's what you need to be established in. Be established in him. You must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him, then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Be rooted. Turn to your neighbor and say, be rooted. Be rooted. Look at the next one here. Here's the next verse. It's for in Christ. Why do I want you to do that? Why do I want you to be rooted only in him? Why do I want you to get this revelation of in Christ? For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your works, through your efforts, through your continued passion and desire to grow. Now, you are complete through your union with Christ. Say union. Union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and every authority. The word complete is the word pleuroo. Pleuroo, I put the capitals there so we knew where the influence was or the emphasis. Pleuroo, it means to fill to the top so that nothing shall be wanting to be full measure, to render perfect in every particular. Is there anything that God has not perfectly finished in your life? Is there anything? Is there? If you think there is, Paul wrote this letter for you. Not necessarily to you, but for people who would get deceived into a treadmill of works and performance trying to get what you already have. Hello? You're complete in him. Give me another slide. 
Number two, stay rooted. So be rooted. Say be rooted. Number two, stay rooted. Now here's what Paul's writing about this whole book, saying stay rooted. Why do you need to stay rooted? Because people... The world, philosophies, the devil, all kinds of things will come and try to mess with you and to take you out of the finished union with Christ into a place of striving and trying to trade for a better union. Refute every challenge to your union with Christ. People have a hard time accepting that Jesus did it all. Say all. How much did Jesus do? Does that cover everything? Yes. The minute you think it doesn't, that is a lie, right from the pit of hell, because Jesus did it all. He wanted to do it all. He has to do it all. It's all about him. All right, Revelation 3.11, behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. Don't trade. Don't listen to any other nonsense. You are crowned in him. He crowned you, made you pure, made you holy, finished the work in your life. You've been crowned by God himself. He's lifted you up. He's elevated you. He's caused you to sit with him in heavenly realms. God crowned you and seated you in him in Christ Jesus. Don't allow anybody to mess with your perfect union with almighty God. Give me another slide. There you go. Colossians 2.8. He said, beware lest anyone cheat you. Beware lest anyone cheat you. Says let any man, but it's not gender specific. Beware of people who will come to you with philosophy and empty deceit. They'll try to cheat you according to the tradition of men teachings. Well, this is what so says, and this is what so and they believe this and that and the other thing. Really? Do other people believe that? Well, they believe it too. They believe it too. They believe it. Too. Really? Oh my goodness! You know, don't let anyone cheat you. Cheat you through vain philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Gnosticism, intellectualism, Gnosticism. That's why he used in the first verse that word epinosis, which means supernosis. It means laser gnosis. In Christ, you have laser epinosis. You don't need other gnosis. In him, you got a gnosis that's better than any gnosis. You don't need somebody else's gnosis when God's giving you epinosis. Right? Everybody he knows is gnosis. That's right. Okay, so vain stuff. So intellectualism. My goodness, don't get lost in that. Now we have received. Say received. How do you get that? You receive it. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God that we might know. That we might know what? The things that have been freely given to us by God. And then he finishes that section by saying, we have the mind of Christ. Woo! So let no one judge you in food or drink or in writing festival or new moon or Sabbath, which is a shadow of the things to come, but the substance, or you can't say the reality, is of Christ. All of that was shadows, but the reality has been expressed in Christ. Now just go back to intellectualism. You know, there's a whole aspect in the world today where if we just teach everybody, if we all come into the same knowledge, if we all, you know, educate ourselves and get into the proper understanding, if we do all of that, the world will be one big, lovely, peaceful kumbaya. You know, that might seem good. It might seem right. But I don't know who's making the rules, who's deciding what's what, who's deciding what's right or wrong. That's really crazy. But you see, I don't need to worry about what the world says. Get educated. Get all kinds of knowledge. But always know this, that you got epinosis. you got the knowledge of Christ himself, the one who created all things. you got a knowledge that is supreme and above. I love education. want people to get education. Education is expensive, but not as expensive as ignorance. 
So get that. But we got to be careful that the world doesn't come in and, 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 and say, you need Jesus and a whole bunch of this. We need to do this. And we get a whole secular gospel, a weird, creepy thing that ends up having nothing to do with the power from God himself. All right. So chapter 2, 6 to 17. So let no one judge you. So don't let anyone cheat you. Number two, don't let anyone judge you. Don't judge me, man. Don't judge me, man. It says, don't let anyone judge you in food or in drink or regarding to festivals or new moons or Sabbaths. There was all kinds of Old Testament rules and things you had to do. If you want to get close to God, you got to do this. Vegetarians are really close to Jesus. I'm sure they are, but they're no closer than carnivores. Like, it's just crazy. If you think the food you eat is, is giving you an inside line on salvation, you're crazy. Now, the food you meet might make you get see God earlier than other people. Because food's food. Food is fuel. And whatever you're fueling this beautiful tank with, I say this beautiful tank. Whatever you're fueling this tank with, it's important stuff, right? Amen. Let's go home and have a bag of Frito-Lays. Amen. Let no one judge you in food or drink regarding festivals. You know, you need to do this, or this is a special day, or you need to, this is a day where you spend this day, get, oh, this is an awesome day. This day is better than that day. I mean, God created all those days, and he says those days were awesome. But he says, don't let anyone judge you according. It doesn't mean the days or whatever were bad or, or didn't have a purpose or a reason. But when someone starts judging you on that day, or someone starts saying, I'm more special than you because I know the days, man. I understand the stuff. Stuff like this, and because I understand the days and I practice all of this stuff, I get closer to God than you do. Man, that's rubbish. Are you okay? And see, they had people, oh yeah, Jesus, Jesus did it all, absolutely did it all. But here he is in Colossae, Jesus did it all, the wonderful gospel of grace, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and then you got to get the days right, the Sabbath, you got to figure it, you got to tweak this, tweak that, tweak this. It's crazy stuff. And there's lots of it around today. Can I get an amen? A little grunt. I just feel so many breaks going on right now. Is that true? Anybody? Okay. All right. Don't let it happen. Legalism. Salvation is gained through performance. Salvation is not gained through performance. In fact, you perform better when you realize it's all about him. You perform better when you realize it's the finished work of Christ. And I can do all this stuff because it's done. I'm complete in him. I'm not in any way disappointing to him. I can't even improve on this. I mean, I didn't qualify to get it. I can't even disqualify myself. He's crazy in love with me. And he'll never, ever, nothing can separate me from the love of God. So good. Give me another slide. Here we go. Galatians 5, 1 to 4. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ made you free, and do not get entangled again with a yoke of bondage. You have become estranged from Christ because you attempt to be justified from the law, and you have fallen from grace. Do you know how you fall from grace? Try to get justified by good works. Try to get justified by your effort. Try to get justified by some type of outward performance or, or, or some type of regulation that you do that you think you're better than everybody else because I do this. The very fact that you said that, said God, here's what the word says. You fell from grace. What is he saying? You fell out of God's presence? No, you fell from the pathway. You fell from the way we get it done. Grace is the way we do stuff. And if you're trying to do it any other way, you've fallen off of the track of grace. It's like keep drinking of the stream of the grace of God's goodness. The minute you start going outside of that, you've fallen from grace. You didn't fall out of God's presence. You didn't fall away from him. You fell out of the stream of what makes it all happen. 
Do you, do you understand that? I hope you understand that. Give me another slide. We've got to move on. Colossians 2, 18 and 19. Do not let anyone condemn you. Don't let anybody cheat you. Don't let anybody judge you. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels saying they have had a vision about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with his joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. Why am I growing? Because I'm rooted in him and and God nourishes everything that's rooted in him. Mysticism. Immediate spiritual intuition of truths believed trans that transcend ordinary understanding or direct intimate union of the soul with God through contemplation or ecstasy. So is there anything wrong with mysticism? Absolutely not. I believe in it a million percent. I believe that we should have immediate spiritual intuition. I believe that the knowledge that we are in Christ, we realize that I'm in a relationship with a person and I communicate with them every moment of the day. I have something that transcends ordinary understanding. I have direct, intimate union of my soul. I am able to intellectually engage on that level and every level, body, soul, and spirit with God. I'm able to contemplate and have ecstasy of relationship with God. But here's the problem. Don't elevate your experience over the simple fact that you're in a union with Christ. See, if I start to say, I have more visions than all of you, therefore what? I'm more important than you. Oh, I wish I was like Pastor Carl. Or some teacher comes. I've got a new teaching from God. You have to climb the mountain. I do amazing stuff in my life. You know why? Because I climbed the mountain. Let me just tell you what that is. It's rubbish. You're not climbing anything. In fact, if you do that, you have added a substitute to your relationship with God. Now, if you, if you want to climb a mountain with God, knock yourself out. But don't tell me that I have to climb a mountain to get close to God, because that's not biblical. If you climbed a mountain, I love it. You had a revelation where, you know, God took me in the mount of God, and I climbed, and I went with him. Fantastic. But don't make a doctrine out of it. And don't beat everybody else with it saying that you could be awesome like me if you climbed a mountain. God never opened my eyes to a mountain, never saw a mountain. Jeez, if I've never seen a mountain, am I even saved? Because they all saw mountains. Then the person beside me said, oh, I'm climbing the mountain. I'm climbing. I don't even see the mountain. Holy crap. Something really wrong with me. Okay. I see it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I see it too. I didn't, but oh my God, I don't want to feel weird. I don't want to walk out like everybody else. And then people walked away confused, messed up. They go, what the heck's going on? Never saw the mountain. You got John Arnott, massive move of God in the early 90s at the Toronto airport. All these other people getting whacked. He's like, man, I don't even know what's going on. But he touches people. He's infected. He's a carrier. He starts talking to people. They get whacked in the Holy Ghost. And he's just trying to have a conversation. He's going, you know, I've never really been impacted like this. A guy who was a major carrier of a significant revival never really had the manifestation himself. Well, if you didn't have the manifestation, John, how do you really know you're a carrier? I don't really care. I'm just trying to introduce people to the goodness of God. And this stuff kind of happens along with it. But what's really important is that they know this. It's my good pleasure, little children, to give to you the kingdom. Whether you fall down, jump, howl, run through, jump over a troop, whatever. That's awesome. And I love all that stuff. But are you rooted in Christ? That's what's really, really important. Okay, next slide. 
Acts chapter 19, 11. The guy who wrote this, the guy who wrote this, Paul, who wrote this, Paul went to Ephesus, did some meetings for three and a half years. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So here's a guy who when he's saying, it's not about all the excess stuff, although I've had a lot of stuff happen. I mean, in my meetings, unusual stuff is taking place. In fact, people could come and rub a cloth on my head and run away to another province and have a revival service just by holding up the cloth. People could touch the cloth a hundred miles away and they could all be healed, touched, demons cast out. I mean, crazy stuff. I had unusual stuff. Second Corinthians 12, 1 and 2, he says, this boasting will do no good. So Paul's literally going, he's, he's having to prove his apostleship to these people. And he's saying, this is crazy. I don't like this. I don't, don't like doing this. There's nothing good even in me boasting about this. But anyways, you've brought me to it. He said, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell you about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago. So here's Paul even talking about the fact that I was caught up into the heavens and Jesus sat me down and he taught me revelation face to face. He says, this is a kind of experience that I had had with God. And even Peter was going, now this Paul guy, I mean, we saw Jesus face to face. He never did, but somehow, I guess, in the spirit, he has had encounters with him. Strange, I know, but really cool stuff. So am I saying that we shouldn't have that? No, look, here's another one. Acts 27, 23, 24, for there stood by me that night an angel of God whom I belong and I serve, saying, don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. What's Paul saying? I had an angelic encounter. And several times, Paul was ministered to by angels. So here's Paul. He's had all of those experiences. But he says, if in any way those experiences come between you and the finished work of the cross, it's a problem. And if you judge yourself, have I had an experience? If you judge yourself based on whether you've had something extraordinary happen in your life, if you judge your relationship with God based on that, it is a false doctrine. Because your relationship with God is based quite simply on the finished work of the cross, and that is it. Can you have all the rest? And do I encourage you to have all the rest? Absolutely. It's all a part of the package. Signs, wonders, healing, visitations, encounters. Go to heaven. Knock yourself out. But none of that is any more significant, and it pales, and it doesn't even register on the scale of this. Jesus Christ loves me, and he died for me, shed his blood for me, and he forgave all my sins, and he brought me into absolute union with him. Okay, Colossians 2, 20 to 23. You have died with Christ, and you've been set free from the spiritual powers of this world, so why do you keep on following the rules of this world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may be seen as wise because they require strong devotion and pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help. They provide no help. They help a little bit. They provide no help. You tweak it the right way, it might help. They have no help. How much help? No help. If you do something because you think you should do it, if you think you should give up something for devotion to God, that's all about you. It's not about anybody else. And it's especially of no value if you tell everybody else how awesome you are because you did it. They provide no help in, go back, sorry, no help in conquering a person's evil desires. 
I got an evil desire, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fast 40 days to try to get rid of it. Fasting won't get rid of the evil desire. The evil desire gets rid of, is gone the exact same way that you came to Jesus, by faith. Hello. Hello. Are you saying we shouldn't fast? Go ahead and knock yourself out if God calls you to fast. It says when you fast, which means you should. But you know what, if you think that fasting in any way has a, an aspect of salvation, it has an aspect of, of, of dealing with sin in your flesh, no. It is, look, it says no help. Look at a couple other verses, same verse, other translations. They are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. They really don't really have any power over desires. It's an illusion of being pious and humble and ascetic, but they are just another way of showing off and making yourself look important. Because it really has zero to do with your level of spirituality or your place in God. How many are having fun so far? How many wish you went to the beach? I got to wrap up. Are you ready? Wrapping up really fast. Here we go. Here we go. Give me an asceticism, the doctrine that a person can attain a higher spiritual moral state by practicing self-denial, self-mortification, and the like. Asceticism is total nonsense and total rubbish. As Paul said, stay away from that stuff. Give me another slide. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power. It is the power to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Give me another slide. Here we go. We're doing good. Number three, be rooted. So it's just three. Be rooted, stay rooted, been rooted. <laughs> Do you get that? Be rooted, stay rooted, been rooted. You've been rooted. All right, I've been, have you been rooted? Been rooted. Here's what he says now. He says, in him you also were circumcised, the circumcision made without hands, the putting off of the body of sin of the flesh. He did it. I'm rooted in him, and in that circumcision, not, not done by hands, but done by Jesus himself, he puts off. Oh, go back. I know you're in a hurry there. He puts off the body of sin. What does? Coming to Christ, that circumcision, coming to him, that puts off the body of sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Go ahead. Buried with him in baptism, which you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespassing and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has now made you alive and you have been forgiven. He's forgiven you of all trespasses. Settle down. I know that's really good news, but you're getting tired. I'm getting tired of this sermon, Pastor. It's so good. So what? You know, you died in him. You were buried in him. You were raised in him. You were dead to all the nonsense. You're dead to sin. You're dead to all those things that say they got a grip on you. No, they don't. You're totally set free. The way you're set free is to focus on your rooted. The way you're set free is to stay focused on the fact that you're dead, buried, and you're raised in Christ Jesus. You've been made alive in him because he did it all. He disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them in the cross. See, you've been rooted. When, when you come to him and that whole baptism thing, all we go through, that initiation, threefold initiation, three baptisms, baptized into the body of Christ, baptized in water, baptized by Jesus in the spirit of God. When you're fully initiated and you're fully in Christ and you've got the whole thing. And you know, when people try to add to it or, or try to put us on a treadmill of performance, it doesn't help the body of Christ one bit. You've been, here it is, you ready? It's all done in Christ. It's all done in Christ. So if you want results in your life, focus on this. It's all done in Christ. If you want to overcome something in your life, focus on this. It's all done in Christ. If you want to see more of the reality of the inheritance that's yours in Christ, focus on that you're rooted in Christ. 
Focus on that. Paul said the same way you begun is the same way you continue. How is that? By faith that he did it all. That same faith that he did it all is what you got to support every day of your life. Uh, stay, uh, be rooted, number one. If you're not rooted, be rooted today. If you don't know him, if you've never planted yourself in Christ, if you've never said, I'm, I'm planted in myself, I'm going to go up myself, then be planted in him. Because when you get planted in him, it's all done. When There's nothing else anywhere that can compare to the fact because all fullness is in him him it's all in him so when you're rooted in him what do you have all fullness what is there lacking in all fullness pastor nothing there's nothing missing in that so stay rooted because things will come to try to attack you and pull you out things will come that are contrary to the bible attacks will come they'll try to draw you away to some kind of stubborn outer performance to get closer to god it's just a lie you've been rooted you've been rooted you died, you were buried, and you've been made alive in him. Your life is hidden in Christ Jesus. You are in hidden protection. You really are. And you were in him, and nothing can take you out of his hand. That's good news. Settle down. I know it's good. Please, just relax. It's really, really good news. Come on, stand up with me. Jesus. Just uh, everybody pray. Just believers pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Father, I thank you that you made the plan simple. I thank you that you, a child can understand this. A child can completely embrace what it is to know that God loves them so much that they made a deal with themselves. They cut a, cut a covenant with each other. I wasn't even involved. They did it on my behalf. God and God cut a deal, and I get all the benefits because God loves me. A, a kid can understand that. You explain that to a kid, that's a great deal, I'll have some. Father, I thank you that it's all true and it's all real. And I just pray if there's anybody here today who doesn't know him, if they're rooted in their own system or rooted in their own way or rooted in, you know, I'm going to go it on my own, I pray today they'd root themselves in Christ. Root yourself in Christ. Just heads bowed, eyes closed. Listen, before we go, can I pray with anybody? Is there anybody here who'd say, you know what, I, I've never rooted myself in Christ. I've never made that choice to receive him, to accept that he is everything. I'm chasing after fullness everywhere else, but in him is all fullness, and I just got to receive him. If you say, I want to receive him today, I want to give you a chance. I just want to pray with you. So here I'm going to do, what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, put your hand up at three and say, pray for me before you go. All right, you ready? Here it is. One, two, three. Just throw your hand up really high so I can see you. Throw it up really high. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? You can still do it. You still throw your hand up and say, yeah, pray for me. All right, would you all do this? Let's, let's all pray together. You ready? Lord Jesus, thank you for making a way for me. Thank you for coming and dying for my sin. Thank you that you're alive today. And thank you that you offer me salvation. I receive right now that gift of redemption. I take you into my life. I receive you as my Lord, as my Savior, as my Christ. So thank you. I declare I am forgiven. I am healed. And I am free in Jesus' precious name. 
Amen. That's really good, you know? You did that prayer for the first time. You didn't join a church. You made a transaction with God where you received his goodness and his grace. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family of God. I want to pray for you. Can those who are doing ministry today, can you guys come on up front here? You're praying, a part of the altar team. Uh, come on up here. We just want to get a chance to pray for people. If you need prayer for anything, there's always prayer. The altar's always open. So please, if you need prayer. I'm sorry I took up an extra few minutes of your beach time. Will you forgive me? Anybody forgive me? How many are just so ticked off? Just, you know, Pastor, it's not your sermons to get me into heaven. It's the finished work of the cross. So can you say it in less minutes? Yes, I'll try harder. Heavenly Father, you're so good. Thank you for the beautiful day we have. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for my family and friends. I love them and adore them. I'm so glad to be in a living, vibrant community. I command your richest blessing on them today. I pray that the traffic would open up before them as they race to the beach to enjoy your day. And everything they do today, Father, let them squeeze the absolute most out of it and bless them in it. I thank you for it. Let the love of God, let the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the intimate fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with each one now and always in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome day.